I'm Matthew Buckley-Smith, and you're listening to Slee Rickets. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I got a, a fair amount of housekeeping this week, so I'm going to try to blow through it as quickly as possible. Uh, big news is that we finally have t-shirts. It took a little bit of doing, but they look good. They are at, at Tee Public. There's a, I'll put a link in the show notes to them, and maybe I'll try to put one somewhere else, but they're uh, very simple, very clean. And the way Tee Public does it, you can pick whatever color or style of t-shirt or whatever you, you want. There's a lot of, uh, a, a lot of options, but uh, I just got a, a regular black t-shirt and it looks pretty good and it's pretty soft and uh, it's they, they do a nice job there. So uh, for those of you who have been wanting one, you can now get it. Uh, also, if you have not yet taken a look, go to sleerickets.substack.com and check out The Secret Show. There are now five episodes up. I just added a new one, a really good conversation I had with Cameron after we discussed the Martinez affair. Uh, I will put uh, listen to the end of this episode and I will put a little preview of one of the episodes, the one I did with Brian uh, most recently up there, so you can get a sense of what you are missing if you have not yet subscribed. Finally, fucking what did I want to say? Oh, finally, yeah, just thanks thanks to to everybody for for listening to to the regular show to whatever, you know, for all of your support, all of your notes. I've gotten a lot of notes from people recently and I appreciate all of them. It means a lot. So all of your interaction and support is uh, is definitely noted and appreciated. Uh, and if you if you would just take a moment sometime this week to mention the show to somebody you think might like it. Word of mouth really is how the show gets around, and uh, and y'all have been doing a, a pretty great job of that thus far. So please do keep it up. Just just tell one friend, uh, and I think people seem to like the show or or get entertainingly mad at it. And I, either way. I'm gratified. Uh, I, <laughs> I have had, a, had a, still have this challenge I want to put out, but I'm going to have to wait because this episode's going to be over long otherwise. So this week I had a really fun conversation with Alice about a an issue of Poetry Magazine that came out in 2009. I'll put a link to it in the show notes, of course. But in it, in addition to uh, some poems and some some letters and reviews, Christian Wyman the editor at the time, included eight poetry manifestos written by poets who were, you know, I think, I think they were sort of all regularly publishing in poetry, uh, some, some uh, dear to the show included. And Alice and I went through all of them, talked about them. She wrote her own manifesto. And then I have something that's sort of not, instead of writing a manifesto, I solved the problem of, of figuring out what poetry is, whether a poem is good or not. Uh, for all time, and uh, and we can all uh, we can all go home now. But uh, it was it was a really good conversation. Alice was a delight as she always is, and I and I'm not even putting her name on the the uh, show. Uh, I'm not even listing her name in the show notes because she's just uh, she's just part of the show now. So uh, I'm listing her defunct Twitter handle instead <laughs> until she tells me otherwise. But of course, as always, you should go check out Alice's uh, podcast. Poetry says. And uh, before we get to that conversation, I did want to uh, note that Joshua Megan, who wrote the first manifesto that we talk about, is going to be teaching a class on the foundations of free verse with Brooklyn poets. He's going to be teaching this 
in over the summer, July 10th to August 14th, but I'll include a, a link to it. Oh, it's sold out. God damn it. I told him I would plug it and now it's sold out. Wait, is that is that current? Well, you could have taken a class with Joshua Beacon, but now it's too late, sucker. Uh, so, sorry about that. Damn it. Uh, all right. Uh, any, anyway, uh, let's get to my conversation with Alice right now. So I asked you to look at these things. I realized I had only read a couple of them originally. And so I, some of them were new to me and some I was, I had forgotten about and then wished I'd forgotten about. <laughs> um, so in 2009, on the 100th anniversary of the Futurist Manifesto, uh, Poetry Magazine invited, I th I'm not sure exactly how it happened, but they, they had eight poets, one of which was a kind of a group of poets, submit poetry manifestos and they got some in interesting results some were really good some were terrible and some were i think in the middle it was sort of my, my feeling i don't know how you felt but we we read them there are eight of them and why don't we so these these were they put them in order in the magazine the first one is by joshua megan the second one is by michael hoffman the third one is by charles bernstein the fourth one is angie malenko the fifth is D.A. Powell. The sixth is Thomas Sayers Ellis. The seventh is A. Stallings. And the eighth is Hate Socialist Collective, which in this case was represented by Joshua Clover and Juliana Sparr. Just starting with that, because there are a couple other things in this issue I might want to bring up, but what were your impressions? What you, would you make of all this? Yeah, well, similarly, some of them I loved a few... I really struggled with and there were a few in the middle but i wanted to know before we dive in what was happening around this time in poetry magazine this is christian wyman era this is peak christian wyman yeah so it feels like a lot of these manifestos are a little bit on the attack against poetry magazine and i wondered about that yeah the hate socialist collective in particular is like very very hostile like like ostentatiously hostile to poetry magazine specifically so christian wyman do you know his poetry at all i i read the ice storm all the way through okay. this week kind of in preparation for this and i still have no idea what i think about it yeah he he writes often in regular meter and rhyme not not always uh and he is also a very religious person he is associated with the new formalist though one i think one part of poetry magazine's reputation during this time which was, I believe, like he was, I think he may have been one of the first editors to be able to make use of all that Ruth Lilly money. The magazine was known for having a more formal or conservative or sense-making leaning. Again, like from my perspective, it does like, I guess it doesn't take much for you to be considered conservative or formal because you know it's like even a little... It's almost like a one-drop rule. In the t at the time, this was still, you know, as you get the sense from the Charles Bernstein manifesto, the the like la latter-day language poets were still held in high opinion and very influential. So there was a sense of a. I mean, this was the era. I, th I want to say of the like the Ron Silliman feud against the School of Quietism, the School of Quietude. I think he called it. I can't remember. Um, quietism's a political thing, but 
Uh, I think he, he that was not an, not an accidental um, uh, conflation in that case. I, the other thing I totally forgotten about Poetry Magazine was that it used to just have tons of interesting prose in it. Like even mm -hmm. apart from the manifestos, there's just like a ton of reviews in this and the reviews were often contentious and there's like a series of really fiery letters to the editor and then responses from the writers in the magazine. So there was a lot more, this was also an era when they would sometimes like bring in people who you kind of wish they hadn't done like i remember they brought in like nico case it was like nico case is great but then they brought her in they're like nico case tell us about poetry and i was like eh, maybe not that like she's so great at what she does but i don't really want to hear her opinions on poetry so they there was there i feel like there was a lot more conversation in the magazine about the nature of poetry and this this is maybe the the headiest example of that yeah yeah and it might seem like a small thing but People also put comments under these manifestos. Oh my God, I totally missed that. Oh, wow. A, wow. I don't think that that would happen anymore, not just no. because most of that has moved to Twitter, but also because nobody writes comments. Right. That's I crazy. Totally, you know what? I totally forgotten. And and in I remember, actually, I remember there was at least some articles where like the authors would get into the comments in an intense way. I totally yeah. had forgotten about that. Yeah, yeah. And I missed that on rereading. I didn't even look. Um, any any yeah. highlights from the comments? Well, we as, we, as we go through, I think okay. can, maybe I can sort of point to a few of those. But yeah, yeah. maybe let's start with Joshua Megan's Yeah. The Final Manifesto. The, you want to just, this is pretty short. Do you want to just read the whole thing? Yeah, I'd love to. The Final Manifesto by Joshua Megan. One, we see you. Two, we know who you are. Three, your ideas are worthless. Four, your aesthetic is stupid. Five, your technique is a welter of narcissism, superstition, and habit. Six, all your little tiny ideas, all your whoring attempts at creation, and you yourself are nothing. Nobody wants you. We despise you. It's in our nature. Seven, you should be kept as a pet. That's so good. Eight, you are a philistine, the Paul Bunyan of decadence, an acromegalic fraud. Nine, you are a minnow, a speck, a stain. Ten, the genre humane is sick and you are to blame. Eleven, you are a necrophiliac. Twelve, you are a museum of irrelevance. 13. It will take years to make art vital and important again. 14. You are from this moment forbidden. 15. As the Italians say, parla quando pisia la gallina. Speak only when the hen is pissing. 16. We are here now. 17. Our aesthetics is empirically grounded. 18. Our taste will be raised to principle. 19. You and your band of J's will be flushed out. 20. Yes, art is resurrected today. Victory is ours. 21. History will forget you and salute us. 22. Here you are, and here is oblivion. 23. This is the final manifesto and the only one. Yep. I mean, almost is like, it's almost just like a great diss track in, in, some, in some ways. <laughs> Yeah, but so the comments on this are a little bit, at first people are happy with it 
And then there's one from like three years later where somebody comes in and just takes it completely in the spirit that is not intended. And he's really offended. But when I read this and I can't really separate out the little that I know of Josh and what he's written here. But to me, this sounds like Josh talking to himself. Mm. It really sounds as if what he is, he, he's not pointing this at anyone except for his own. I think sometimes he finds himself a little ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Josh. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I feel like that might be true. And all of this is like, yeah, it's pointed back at him. Yeah, it, re- it, do- it does have the... It has the relentless intensity of self-loathing. I think you're right. Yeah, exactly. You couldn't hate somebody else this much. <laughs> yeah, you, it takes too much effort. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah. it's too and it's too thorough. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, this is far and away my absolute favorite of the manifestos. Yeah. It's. Um, but again, it's a little bit hard for me to know how objective I'm being. I think it's terrific, and I think it's like it's totally the most stylish. I was going to say like. There's a lot of style on display, but I think like there are others that are very mannered. This feels like it's just a successful style. Yeah, and it's got this nothing to lose quality about it. It's just like, (laughs) fuck it. (laughs) This is how I feel. Yeah, it's a pretty hard hard act to follow, and I don't think anything really comes close. Yeah, and it is like the one one element of it that is, because it has the like the the poet's quality of like profound self-loathing paired with sky cracking arrogance in the and that's apparent in the in the title right it's like i hate myself more than anyone i could ever hate myself also nothing will follow (laughs) (laughs) fuck you all yeah Uh, yeah it's pretty great yep all right Uh, so we love this we love it Mm -hmm. and then the second is michael hoffman's manifesto of the flying mallet yeah, this wasn't. This one isn't bad at all. This is more kind of a traditional. This is what I think about poetry and how poets should be in the world. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. It it almost feels like a poetry orientation. Mm. Like, do you have that at like your colleges orientation? Where you like come on the first day. And yeah, like, here's where everything we call is. Yeah. A week. A week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that feels that's a little bit what this is like. It's like, hey, here's what it is. Here's how what happens. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's no, there's um, no uniform, no team shirt, no plan or no battle or plan of battle, no weapons, no organization, no hierarchy, no ranks or badges except for homemade ones that don't count. Enemies and detractors everywhere. All there is is confusion, pretense, contradiction, and instinct. Each poem is an in, that, the line. Yeah, it's funny. The line they pulled: uh, poetry is delayed, instant, unending, brief, electric, tiny. Each poem is an insurrection against the world before it existed, or a desertion from it. That I understand almost not at all. Uh, yeah, no, I, that that's not a bit that I really resonated with. Um, yeah, it was funny. That yeah, they pulled that, and then the here's the interesting thing: there are no plurals, only chance or temporary agglomerations. The only plural forms are what Wallace Stevens, plural himself, as you might think, referred to as functionaries or hacks, and Lou Reed as Jim Jims. I'm not really familiar with Lou Reed's personal lexicon of slang, but I it, I think I read that as like there are no like people doing there are no like true schools or new no like camps there are no like people who are really actually on the same team you're doing things at the same time they're just like they're just sort of collisions and intersections or like uh, rank derivativeness yeah uh, i think that's what he's getting at by the with the word plurals but it's interesting how 
negative both of these are to start with, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what? That's why I ask about the Christian Wyman thing. Like, what's the mood of poets writing, being asked to write a manifesto for Poetry Magazine, and then coming back with, "Well, everything is uh, meaningless and stupid." Yeah, uh, <laughs> I don't feel like those would be written today. You know? No, I think that, like there's, two, I mean, two enormous differences. I think between like this this set of manifestos and the manifestos you would get today is that in this one, only one of them is really overtly political. Uh, and that even that one still is pretty theatrically so. And out of the nine authors involved in this, I believe one is not white. Mm. So that's, I, mean, I think that's another like pretty, pretty big difference uh, from what, if you were to do a version of this today. Yeah, like, like there's, there's a lot of, there is a, you're right. Like a lot of these have, have a very negative form and or a kind of a gripey tone and even the one that is very political is mostly negatively so hmm. but i thought i thought like reading reading manifesto of the flying mallet i thought like as a kind of a, a series of statements about poetry i thought like yeah i basically basically agree with this it seems like yeah, yeah. I, I think i agree with it on bad days <laughs> yeah. yeah uh i wonder about our um Good to bad day differential <laughs> between the yeah. two of us. I wonder how yeah, that, yeah, we should track that. <laughs> that lines up. And then do you want to move to the next one? Yeah, so Charles Bernstein. Manifest aversions, conceptual conundrums, and implausibility, deniable links. I can barely get through the title. Oh, man, yeah. And it's really good for me to read something like this and to feel the confusion, the boredom, mm -hmm. because this is exactly the kind of shit that I try to get away with. And I you, can't you try try to get away with or tried to. I tried. I, well, I probably still. Yeah, no, I'm still <laughs> trying. I'm still trying to get away with this. Uh, I can't, and I really don't think Charles does. What do you? And all. by this kind of stuff, what is it that specifically? Nonsensical collage. Okay. All right. Uh, nonsensical collage. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't. So yeah, like he, the first the opening statement. Some of these are pretty good lines. I love originality so much. I keep copying it as the. Um, is the opening, and a lot of it is is an elaboration on that idea. On, on an, it seems to yeah. be a sort of an, a a desperate avert, like a desperate avoidance of commitment. He even includes like language poetry with all the equal signs between the letters, and then after a colon, he says a loose affiliation of unlike individuals, which which seems to be. I feel like that is a little that is protesting too much. Um, but that but a lot of it has that feel of like oh you you think i'm over here but i'm really over there oh but i'm not over there either I'm like all right all right man it's cool it's and it just like goes a, I don't really it keeps going it. on it's so long it's yeah. so many of these it's so long it's way too long that's the thing though when you get into this mode if everything is worth including then it's very hard like you know it's like when musicians start being their own producer yeah and it it just reminded me of the like the the damning assessment Ryan made of language poetry, you know, twenty years ago, which was like insofar as like one of the major goals of language poetry is to demonstrate the the sort of the ever shifting untrustworthiness of of language and conventional communication. Like you only like there only needs to be one language poem. Like if you have one successful yeah. language poem that truly demonstrates that, like you don't need to publish any others. And this feels like it's more material in that mode, like more, 
I mean, so much of language poetry, at least that I encountered at the time, felt like this again, like, like language betrays us again and is and is silly again. Like any any assertion, any convention, any commitment can only be you know has to be undermined again. And that's every that's every like again like you feel like you just do that once and do it really well, and then mm. that's enough. Well, uh, I don't know. I mean, you could probably apply that to pretty much any mode, though, couldn't you? Maybe um, so. Maybe maybe if it were, it it would be. Maybe maybe part of my objection is like it also seems not fun. Like if it were if it were that but fun, like great, okay. <laughs> well, I just I feel like the thing that it that it sometimes misses, and not always, because there is a Bernstein poem that I really like called "In a Restless World Like This Is," and there's a lot of Silliman that I really like as well. I like them when they allow for a little bit of sincerity. Mm -hmm. And there's no sincerity at all in this. There's one weird moment of sincerity, I think, which is oh, just yeah? down uh, toward the bottom. There's a there's a longer, most of these are just sort of like one line things. Like there's no depth to the depth in italics because that really needed to be in italics. Um, but then he, he says, the ceremony of sorrow is performed with a measured defiant acknowledgement that makes words charms, talismans of the fallen world. Poetry is a holding space, a folded grace in which objects held most dear disappear, returning as radiant mo moments of memories for giving home. And, and if I had any doubts about the sincerity of that, he then said in brackets in italics, he then says for Akila Oliver. So he dedicates just that one statement to this person, which I, I read as a as a moment of sincerity, but also felt like, why is this for us? Like, do, do we need to read this? <laughs> yeah, I, I, that really stuck out like a sore thumb to me. It's just like, what? Okay, uh, I guess I need to figure yeah. out who that person is. But like, I, uh, I can't, I can't necessarily follow that series of state, like the the two sentences no. that precede it. But I, but I can tell. I mean, it seems like he really means what he's saying there. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't no, know. What, right. I don't know what he means, but he means mm. it. Mm. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's that one, and boy, it's boy, that's it's long. One. Yeah. And then the fourth is Angie Malenko, and it's called "The Eighties, Comma Glory of," as if it were, I guess, listed in an index is kind of the format of the title. This one definitely has my attention for a number of reasons. Okay. Yeah. Oh, good, because I was maybe most confused by this one. Okay, yeah, it yeah. is. It does get a little confusing, but first of all, Angie very much has my attention because she's making a Tori Amos reference in the title. Oh, so, is that the Tori Amos? Oh, okay, all right, uh, which I missed. Yeah, Glory, Glory of the 80s is an amazing Tori song. Oh, um, okay, okay. Not that Angie will ever uh, forgive me for everything I said last time I was on here, <laughs> but if you ever want to talk to me about Tori Amos, <laughs> all right, all right, I would love know. that. But um, the first sentence just absolutely cuts me to the core. She says, these days, everybody everywhere, under 50, younger poets, seems to allude knowingly to Frank O'Hara's personism and deploy with gusto the chatty irony, the pop, I guess, he pioneered. So um, that's my entire project, uh, totally <laughs> punctured, and I can't ever write again. <laughs> <laughs> She's just completely seen through everything I've ever tried to do. And, uh, yeah. Um, in, in 2009. Just, in 2009, yeah. Like, before I even started writing, and she was like, here's what you're about to do, and you're wasting your time. <laughs> 
So, yeah. So, fuck. Well, all right. So, I, I read Personism today. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe I'd read it before, but if I did, it, it, I didn't really remember it at all. Um, yeah, I've read it a few times. It's never really stuck. Yeah. Mo mm -hmm. Mostly, what's what seems like the, the strongest impression is just the tone. Yeah. Which, which she does characterize pretty accurately, I think. The chattiness. Uh, chatty, chatty, irony. chatty irony and pop psycho. And it's, it's I guess, I don't know French. Um, I don't know. Personism, a movement which I recently founded and which nobody knows about, interests me a great deal. Yeah, and, and even when he defines it, well, he doesn't really define it. He gives, he says, but to give you a vague idea, one of its minimal aspects is to address itself to one person other than the poet himself, thus evoking overtones of love without destroying love's life-giving vulgarity and sustaining the poet's feelings towards the poem while preventing love from distracting him into feeling about the person. He kind of elaborates, but it seems sort of to be, if anything, just saying like write a poem to a specific, like write a pistolary or, or a, a apostrophic poetry. But then most of it is sort of, is this kind of tap dancing. So, so what, you felt implicated by this reference. What is it that, how did, what is your relationship with this essay or to this mode or why why would that cut you to the core because i am i am always writing to a specific person like it's always oh, okay. epistolary for me and i guess i thought that that was a way to be more honest and maybe yeah keep myself somehow accountable to something i'd also just really like some of ohara's poems a lot and so yeah um, and and love love the the relaxed kind of wandering mode that he's sometimes writing in, and just I guess wanted to emulate that like so many other people. Yeah, uh, there is something yeah. like like in his kind of light touch and refusal of sentimentality that feels like it it has to do with maybe the way you've characterized Australian poetry. Yeah, um, I think that he had a huge like he and Ashbury together. I think are so much in the water here that you can barely even separate it out. Like, like fluoride. Yeah, okay, so she the title says 80s glory of, and then a couple times in the article she says, uh, inventing a new tone is no small thing, though grander projects beset us these days, book length projects, lipograms, and variations on macaronics and hybridity, it's like we're stuck in the 80s. And I think maybe one other time she says something about the 80s, I don't know what she's talking about, though. No, and I, guess, I couldn't like, follow that. I couldn't follow. I do hope that you get to talk to Angie and ask her about this because, yeah, yeah, I yeah, get yeah. That bit out. Is um, it like, like just what it felt like to be in the '80s in poetry in America? Like, is there 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 must have been a prevailing tone mm. then? Is that what that means? Because because even just the fact that there is a song with that title is helpful because I didn't even know that. But is the song illuminating as a key to this at all? It's a very nostalgic song. It's it's very positive about the 80s, but yeah. Which uh, Angie doesn't seem to be going for. No, yeah, but no. But she seems to be taking up this same tone that she's sort of poking fun at. Like the whole yeah. thing is very tart and winky, and it and it also just seems to be citing things that I, I felt a little bit lost by this one. Like I felt like yeah, I, I, felt I needed, like this felt a little bit like a, you had to be there kind of thing. <laughs> uh, yeah. She might be talking, this might be part of a conversation that yeah, was happening at the time that we we're totally unaware of. So yeah. Um, yeah. But that's, that's that one. The next Confused. one, Annie, get your gun by DA Powell, which is a lot about sardines. 
see he kind of takes up the sardine as a, a governing metaphor to talk about poetry. And the point seems to be that sardines all meld together into a collective, whether you're eating them out of the can or the tin, or they're swimming all together in a school, which is a bad strategy for them because they still get eaten in large amounts mm. anyway. All of that, all that schooling does them nary a whit of good, and yet they still join instinctually, each one believing that it's some other poor pilchard who will be devoured. And then he kind of rags on artistic schools, but then it seems like kind of the, the meat of the essay which is also, I think, what they pulled from at the top, I was really baffled by. So, so he says, maybe it's peculiar to our time in which actual schools, academies, proliferate and spawn that we're seeing so much centrism. What we need is more eccentrism. Who isn't tired of the contemporary qua contemporary? Who isn't bored by innovation for innovation's sake? It has, sadly, become the mode du jour not even a school, a monocultural fish farm, an orchestra mm. in which everyone is trying to solo at the same time, a tin of silvery bodies falling into place. I imagine that each of those fish must have thought it was going in a new direction, but all the other fishes got there at exactly the same time, and thus the great, great net encompassed them all. So it seems to be arguing against conformity, but then against non-conformity? In a way, like, I don't, I just am baffled by this. I don't know what to make of this. I was less baffled because I felt, okay. again, kind of called out by this. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> because I, I, it's a little bit like what um, Pam was saying when I chatted with her about people trying to be experimental for experimentalism's sake and trying right. to out experimental each other. And, I guess in the context of the language poets being such a big deal at the time, that thing of who isn't tired of the contemporary quite contemporary, you can see where he might be coming from there. Everybody is trying so hard to be original and different, but even if you think you're going in a new direction, because you're all trying to be different in the same way, it's just like contributing to the school settings. Right. Okay. All right. Like uh, against the avant-garde as a style. Like, yeah, I think like, that's yeah. it. Okay. All right. That makes that makes more sense then. Yeah. What what else did you get from this one? Because I've read yeah, very little that... D.A. Powell and very. And, sorry, Me go too. Ahead. Yeah. No. I, th- it really was that paragraph that you pulled out that I felt like was the the most interesting <laughs> and <laughs> the relevant. I, the one I got least out of you. Got, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but no, I actually think like you you I think clarified what that might have. Yeah. That, I think that does make more sense now. Monocultural yeah. fish farm, and, an orchestra yeah, in which and, everyone is trying to solo at the same time. Yeah, mm-hmm. that is the line for me, and I need to keep that in mind because I don't know. You got to have a pretty strong idea if you're going to come up and say, "This is my solo, guys." What I is? Think I've had one of those yet. What is that? D- apart from just the the bad judgment and arrogance required to like get up and read a poem or to like write a poem and try to publish it. What is the, I mean, there's a sense in which like, of course, like any poem, unless you're writing some weird collaborative thing, like any poem is a solo. So what is the, in what way do you feel like some of your poems you'd feel more, more implicated by than, than others? Oh, just those moments where I thought, 
I don't think anybody's done this. I'm going to do this thing and it's going to be oh, so okay. original and interesting. I I'm see, really going to add to the conversation. Right, uh, okay. No, somebody already did it like right. 16 million times. Like the, the originality is the draw. When that's, when that's what you're after, you're, you're maybe off the track. Pretty much always. Yeah. I really, uh, Alicia Stallings in conversation said like, and she's clearly like one of the most like white hot intelligent people I've, I've met in person. But she said like her, her dad told her as a kid, like never, never like ground your sense of self on being the smart one. Cause all it takes is you're going to meet someone smarter than you. No, that's <laughs> such great advice. Like, like never be like, well, I'm the smart one in them. Cause it's just like, you will be so, yeah. you'll be so owned when you just meet, like meet the wrong person. Yeah. Oh God. Uh, yeah. Great advice. And then the next one was Thomas Harris Ellis's The New Performaform, A Page Versus Stage Alliance. Do you want to take this one up? Uh, how about you take it? <laughs> the, this was, so, okay, so, so some of these I found annoying in different ways. This one I thought basically has a pretty good thesis, I think, but it's presented in a just totally insufferable way it's really just very hard to read it's so he's, he's doing like playful things with language but it makes the language opaque yeah it just it just loses me completely except for the very very end can i read that bit yes so he ends by saying and while it is rare to attend a poetry festival or conference and see poets established and emerging white and black gay and straight, academic and non-academic, being treated as equals. Consequently, it is even rarer to discover literary editors and publishers open to all levels of class intelligence. And that seems really right to me and still still applicable, I think. What does class intelligence mean? Uh, I take that as meaning, <laughs> have you, have you f um, left school around year 10? Or have you gone all the way and done your PhD and do you have the vocab to uh, to throw oh. around that reflects that? Oh, see, I was I was thinking initially that it was like class consciousness, but that doesn't seem Oh, maybe much. that is it. I don't know. It's I like, don't know. I don't really, but then, then again, I don't trust. He's so uh, capricious in his use of language in this essay that it's hard to know whether like a standard meaning should be applicable here. Class intelligence, I'm not getting any meaningful mm. and not, I'm not getting any meaningful results from this. So I, I don't know. It doesn't seem to be, it doesn't seem to be jargon, but yeah. Okay. That is certainly true that like go to, go to a, I mean, yeah, like poetry festivals and conferences are so hierarchical. Um, and that's certainly true of literary magazines and publishers as well. The first task of activism of any performer former, which is his, one of his bizarre coinages is the removal of all one dimensional judges of craft, which I read as like, more so than like the the hate hate socialist collective is uh, is super histrionic in their politics. That I read as like maybe the most radical line in the whole series of manifestos. Because if if I understand it correctly, he's saying assassinate judges, like like uh, remove remove one dimensional judges, like remove them. How like what, what does that mean? No, that's not that's not how I take it. Okay. Removal of all one-dimensional judges. I think that's another weird way of using the word judges, like one-dimensional measures of craft. 
So okay, that's that's how I take less that. alarming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, judges judges can be there. That's okay, yeah. but they need to be looking at craft from more more than one angle. Right. Yeah. That that seems right. And and overall, the thesis seems to be the that like page poets and stage poets should learn from each other's strengths. And like yes. that seems like a good thesis, but it is horribly horribly written like aggressively obnoxiously written but weirdly this might be the only manifesto that actually we can see that it's kind of come true yeah yeah oh yeah i think this one is right no i think that's that's quite right uh this one is is one of the few ones that is making a specific imperative like asserting a specific imperative and then mm -hmm. we can and you're right i think this like page poetry and stage poetry have become more uh, mutually influential. Yeah, they've gotten closer together for sure. So, yeah. so well done, Thomas Sirzelis. You you Great. you won the manifesto off despite I mean just brutally bad writing in this. The next one is a Presto manifesto by A. E. Stallings. Mm-hmm. What did you so as a mostly free verse poet coming into rhyme and meter a little bit? How did how did this strike you? Because I remember this is one of the few I know I read at the time. And I remember my response to it then, and it's pretty similar to my response to it now. But what did? Mm. How did you? How did it strike you? Yeah, I've read this before as well. Um, maybe Josh shared it with us or something. But yeah, I mean, this is—it's helpful. It's because you do like when when you're coming at this stuff as somebody who has always got this received message that writing in rhyme and meter isn't cool, um, mm -hmm. you should never do it. And then all of a sudden somebody kind of opens that world up to you and you start kind of falling in love with it. It's like, oh no, what's happening to me? What's happening to my life? But then you read this and it's like, no, it's okay. This is, this is just, it's just another part of how it works. It's another set of tools that you can use. Like she says, rhymes do not need to be hidden or disguised. They are yeah. nothing to be ashamed of. Yes. Uh, yeah, and I mean, it's just, yeah, this is probably the most traditional manifesto. Mm -hmm. It's it's focused. Um, it's narrow. It doesn't doesn't yep. veer veer off if it sticks to rhyme. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I was, I've gotten a lot from this each yeah. time I've read it. And she is stylish and playful in her language, but some of the like one of the 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 the, the assertions that that stuck with me most is one of the kind of the simpler and plainer ones, which is that there are no tired rhymes, there are no forbidden rhymes. Rhymes are not predictable unless lines are. Death and breath, mm. womb and tomb, love and dove, moon, June, spoon, all still have great poems ahead of them. And that is, I, I feel like so I good. I hear so many complaints about rhyme and the complaint, or or even like uh, what's her name. Rebecca Hazelton, um, who's very smart, but then she'll like vindicate rhyme by saying like, oh, the problem with with bad rhyming poetry is that the, they're picking predictable rhymes. I think like, that's totally the wrong way to think about this. No, the, yeah, the, one of the many, many things that I got out of working with Josh is this understanding that like you can, you can use any of those words, but just yeah. make sure that the reader doesn't know that's where you're gonna land. Yeah. Make that make. I mean, I mean and, and I. That's a poor description of what he was trying to tell me, but yeah. No, but it's it's also it's so it's related to. I didn't prepare a manifesto, but I kind of prepared an anti-manifesto in response to because you. Shocking. So no, well, I mean, yeah, we'll see. I, I actually believe it or not, I tried to be um, uh, all positive, 
um, okay. in mind. But uh, but uh-huh. it's it this maybe this will come back in that instance. Okay, but, okay. Yeah, it's it's like a it's playful. She some of it is just um, you know she says rhyme schemes. Ha ha ha. Um, she is like part of what I think. I, like I associate her with some of the great. Um, uh, uh, formal poets in uh, that she like a Hausman. She is a a nerd who loves Easter eggs and like, like Richard Wilbur. She is a nerd who loves corny puns and things. You know, so I, I'm mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan of hers. But uh, yeah, I think this is like a pretty rhyme annoys people, but only people who write poetry that doesn't rhyme and critics. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a yeah, yeah. it's such a cheerful. Uh, gauntlet. Yeah, <laughs> so she's so self-assured. She's just so like, whatever, you guys. Yeah. This is yeah. This is just. There's no problem here. And interestingly, that is the one that got the most comments and the most positive. Like, just it's just like a sea of oh my god, I love you. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. She yeah. she also seems to be having the most fun. I think mm. of any of these. That's all uh, you ever want, right? Just have fun. Yeah, yeah. I say like. Josh seems to be most miserable, but also like most effective. <laughs> and she's <laughs> she's uh, she's just having a blast. Just yeah, just, yeah. Just run. her. By the way, her, like if you ever read her, because she does good translations of um, uh, Greek and Latin. Her notes on those translations are, I would say, even better. Like the notes oh, cool. of her on her her uh, books are, are just wonderful. And then there's the last one. Yeah. Yep. Leave the Manifesto this... Alone, a Manifesto by Hate Socialist Collective. Yeah, I don't like this one. I feel like there is a, we need to think about the political context a little to yeah. really get what they're getting at. So it's 2009. Maybe they yeah. were asked to write them in 2008. And the the last couple of sentences in the first paragraph are, we will not celebrate the end of that era with you. It was not a poetic era. It was a political era. It is this history you wish to seal over with pseudo celebrations. So are they kind of saying like, look, just because Bush is out and Obama is in, this is no reason to to be happy? Yeah, I think I think it's also like the the American left has emerged into the mainstream in the last six or seven years in a way that it totally had not. At this point, like, oh yeah, that's you got a you got a little emergence of it with Occupy Wall Street, which was 2011. Yeah, it sounds right. Uh, yeah, 2011. So this was a couple years before that, and they make a lot of statements. Um, the The manifesto is obligated to be political at every instant, to use the forms and worldviews on offer only for bitter mockery, to to be not an alternative to destruction, but a compliment. To speak of capitalism and the bourgeoisie, the former as the enemy, the latter defined as the social class which does not want to be named. Uh, to stop <laughs> wringing its hands over poetry's lost popularity, that autocritique more stirring than any Maoists. I think like the, oh here, the manifesto is obligated to say, there are other countries where poetry still matters, where the war against the marketplace of capital, against the confirmation of the, of the bourgeoisie as the end of history endures. When we say the manifesto, we mean poetry and capital poetry and poets and our own pathetic selves. I think the, the sort of Marxist inflected rhetorical fury was less on offer at the time. Like you, you can find that like anywhere on Twitter or in any, certainly any literary magazine today. I think it was influential, but was, was not nearly as prominent as it, as it is now. So maybe this was less annoying then, but I, hmm. I couldn't help 
Googling them and saying like, oh, you're both tenured, tenured professors. Oh, great. And I'm, I'm guessing you were at least tenure track at the time. And like, <laughs> and like you're, I'm sorry, like, so, so you're, we're all, this is, we're all dancing on the grave of history and we're, 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 we're self congratulatory bourgeoisie. And sorry, what are you doing? You're publishing a poetry manifesto in poetry magazine. Like that's your, like your, your revolution is critique, you know? So like, I, yeah, like I, those who make a manifesto by halves dig their own graves, which is just hilarious. Because it's like, sorry, so what the, What you really need to do is you need to like really make a manifesto. Like you write a really sincere, like really totally commit with your manifesto. Like we're not talking about barricades. We're not talking about like armed revolt. We're not talking about even like policy changes. We're talking about like really writing a really hardcore revolutionary manifesto. And I just think like, come on guys, like this is bullshit. Well, who yeah, who are you helping? Fine, but yeah. What life have you improved with this shit? <laughs> well, there's no manifesto here, though. Yeah, yeah. It, it. I mean, it, it, it feels a little bit like another version of Charles Bernstein's, where it's like they're they're desperately trying not to be caught out, committing to something that could then be overturned. Yeah. Um, but they're they're so super hostile to Poetry Magazine in a way that, like, as much hostility as I have expressed toward Poetry Magazine and the Poetry Foundation, it just feels like bad form in this case maybe partly just because they're they're like honored invited guests publishing a manifesto in poetry magazine it just feels like so what what at least do, you come in like, and scream at everybody right yeah. I mean, it, it's like at least at least do a marlon brando and like don't accept the or like a, a jean paul sartre and like don't accept the award you know like it like Mm -hmm. you know like write your own thing on your own like website and say like we rejected poetry magazine's invitation because we think that this is bullshit but like don't accept mm -hmm. the, the invitation and then say this is bullshit so what do you think about poetry magazine then publishing it what is that move i mean i think it's like target printing uh che Guevara t-shirts i mean like they're submitting this as a manifesto and poetry accepting it demonstrates that neither of them take it seriously just a writing exercise yeah yeah how does it end and so like you O poetry we propose to reanimate the manifesto we will first require the following things a century of revolutions delight and terror shit on the curatorial shit on bankers and trusts shit on ourselves we believe in art for art's sake the same as we believe in destruction as our beatrice mallarmé said them both Poetry must be as violent and loving as the disease called history with which we infect each other, red and black condoms with the reservoirs cut off. Those who make a manifesto by halves dig their own graves. Cool, man. All right. You got like, do you know the the little statue of the defiant girl standing in front of the bull of the yeah. Wall Street? Yeah. Which is like, I hope, you know, like, cool. All right. But also, and like that, at least that, unlike this, that has popular appeal and is relatively clear. <laughs> But but similarly, it's like, and if that's it, then so what? You know, like this is like a a less like a more obscure, less pleasing, more like conflicted version of that that also changes nothing. I guess we just have to hope that 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 wasn't it, and that they went on to do many other things and had a century of revolutions. I, I don't know. I'm 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 very cynical about this, but this was also though by far the closest to the Futurist Manifesto. Yeah, I haven't read the Futurist Manifesto, so I'm, I'm yeah. missing a key piece of information now. I just read it. I, I, I had read it back in the day in college, if, if at all, and then I read it again today. It's horrible. It's horrible. Um, it's, 
it's so uh, ranty and free associative and smug and come my friends i said let us go at last mythology and the mystic cult of the ideal have been left behind we are going to go we are going to be present at the birth of the centaur and we shall soon see the first angels fly we must break down the gates of life to test the bolts and the padlocks let us go here is the very first sunrise on earth nothing equals the splendor of its red sword which strikes for the first time in our millennial darkness the actual manifesto is these 11 points i won't read all of them but we want to sing the love of danger, the habit of energy and rashness. The essential elements of our poetry will be courage, audacity, and revolt. Literature has up to now magnified pensive immobility, ecstasy, and slumber. We want to exalt movements of aggression, feverish sleeplessness, the double march, the perilous leap, the slap and the blow with the fist. That's the most coherent part of it, which is seems to be saying like, we don't we don't care for the style of the times. Let's jazz things up a little bit. And that part I feel like, okay, fine. But then sure. it goes on to... We want to glorify war, the only cure for the world, militarism, patriotism, the destructive gesture of the anarchists, the beautiful ideas which kill, and contempt for women. Like, all right, like it just, it's so obnoxious and so self-consciously obnoxious. It is, there is a, like a funny tipping of the hand, I think. Uh, he, he rails against museums. He hates museums a lot, um, but he says, Daily visits to museums, libraries, and academies, those cemeteries of wasted effort, cavalries of crucified dreams, registers of false starts, is for artists what prolonged supervision by the parents is for intelligent young men drunk with their own talent and ambition. Which I read is like, mm. oh, this is like the incel revolt. Like this is like, well, you know what we need? We need less parenting. Down with the parents who won't let us stay up late at night. Down with the parents who won't let us buy a samurai sword. I mean, it just feels like this is, come on, guys. Hold on a minute. I think my, I think my air conditioning is kicking up. Hold on. And then they say, and I thought you would appreciate this, having far more time ahead of you than I do. The oldest among us are not yet 30 years old. We have, therefore, at least 10 years to accomplish our task. When we are, <laughs> when we are 40, let younger and stronger men than we throw us in the waste paper baskets like useless <laughs> manuscripts. <laughs> they will. They, so, I mean, it's just—it's really just like horrible. It's just like it's—it's it's almost like a manifesto. Only it's like I mean, truly, it's just like a four-page middle finger. That like, mm. okay, okay. <laughs> and then we had World War One. <laughs> cool guys great great job <laughs> like, like, yeah. hey baby hey Echo. you're being Echo's being friendly hey baby girl just to just to be clear listeners matthew and yeah. i are exactly the same age so i don't know what he's talking about We've, i'm i think i think i have like a few months on you or something or oh you few, got a few months yeah yeah, yeah. so uh we're fucked <laughs> we already knew that though um, <laughs> i yeah, definitely yeah. i definitely know that yeah absolutely yeah. like uh I do. I did want to ask you. Like, I wonder about, and I don't think this was 13 years ago. At least a number of these poets were like around 40, I think, or or 40-ish at this time. What do you think about like newness or innovation, or or even just like the impulse to write a manifesto and youth or relative youth? Because poet poetry youth is different than regular people youth. Yeah, I think that's really true. Yeah. Yeah, I think if you're going to write a sincere manifesto, you probably need to have a certain level of confidence in your own thinking that only deteriorates as you get older. <laughs> yeah, That's I'm probably, just yeah. so much less sure of any declarative statement that I make yeah. now. But when I was 25, 
God damn, I had a lot to tell you and it was all very important and you better listen. <laughs> Do you, before you um, read us your manifesto that you composed through the occasion, do you want to offer any of those nuggets of wisdom that your 25-year-old self might have shouted with great confidence? Oh, God, yeah. I was very obsessed with the fact that we had no time left. And I remember sitting with a friend of mine in a coffee shop when we were both 30 and just being like, dude, we have to do it now. Like, there's no more time. If we're not going to do it now, when are we going to do it? Like, when, when is this stuff going to happen? And we, we uh, so we, we have no more time just meaning like we need to kind of like, like Marinetti means it. Like, we need to do this before we get old. Is that like that? Like, we specifically yeah, have no more time or? Yeah, if we're old and irrelevant and, and nobody listens to what we have to say <laughs> and our achievements no longer count. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I guess the one of the, the gifts, I suppose, of getting past that is you realize that nobody cared then, nobody cares yep. now, nobody will ever care. And yeah. that's actually the best part. That's, that's a good thing. Yeah, and thank God nobody was listening at the time. Thank God nobody was listening. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, seems, that seems very familiar to me. Um, so mm. uh, you did properly write a manifesto. Um, I did. Yeah. I did do that. Which is hard to do, yes. like sitting down and actually like in a sincere way trying to write true statements about poetry, especially if there's a like a slight imperative angle to it is really hard to do. It was fun though. Well, well really yeah, re re read it, read it for us. Okay, so I've, I've called this a collection of declarative statements because I wasn't really sure about the difference between that and a manifesto. I'm still not sure, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. All right, so all poetry is embarrassing and shameful. These are its best qualities. <laughs> all poetry is necessary. There are no good poets, only lucky ones. Poems are shitty vessels, poor tools, and terrible teachers. Poems must never be used for any purpose, ever. Poetry is poisonous to most humans. You are not the exception. While poets may demand attention or invite pity, it is kindest to ignore them. Any poet who attempts to gain status through poetry guarantees his own social and financial ruin. Poetry is immune to your bullshit. There is no way to prove the existence or non-existence of poetry. Believe in it or don't, but don't make your faith, or lack thereof, someone else's problem. You are always going too fast for poetry. Even after you die, this will be true for at least another hundred years. Those who say they have given up poetry reveal themselves to be its most hopeless addicts. No one enjoys poetry, but it's fun to watch people try to convince themselves that they do. The best thing you can do for poetry is get out of its fucking way. So this is great, partly because I, I like, some of these seemed like totally inarguably true. Some of them seemed like completely false to me. And then others I wanted like to get your clarification on how you meant things to tell. So I could tell kind of how you like any any poet who attempts to gain status through poetry guarantees his own social and financial ruin. And I thought of the, th I guess the, the, the distinction I was curious about is like, 
there are people who in the poetry world are ambitious and often they are quite successful, but is the error trying to make poetry the mechanism of your ascent versus making like some personal or romantic or political or rhetorical maneuver the me mechanism of your ascent? Like there are mm. people who play games to get ahead in the poetry world and that can work. But like, if you think that the poetry is gonna do it, that's the mistake. Is that, or like, how did you mean this, I guess? Oh yeah, I see what, yeah. Okay, I can see how that's unclear. <laughs> I was dreading this part, you guys. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I think I was talking about that game playing. So poetry mm -hmm. as as the the social game, the status game, this is where I've been published. This is where I teach. This yeah, is yeah, yeah. the journal that I run. Making that um, your claim to fame, I don't know. I mean, I suppose there are people who have done that and have, have led happy and successful lives and, and died contented. Oh, I don't know about died contented, but <laughs> I, think there are, I think there are people who sort of play this game successfully, like the people who... I think seldom are they the most successful, but often they're the, in like the upper middle tiers of like poetry world success. But I think the, the further down that path you go, the further away you get from poetry. Yes. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. then yeah. you're attached to the status. Indeed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so maybe that's what I mean is if you make poetry your, your measure of status, then poetry will leave you. Yeah, it's like there's a there's a like a Borgesian paradox that that Ryan has proposed, which is that like it would theoretically like there are enough residencies and visiting professorships and guest whatevers on offer that it, it, if you had no roots and no you could move anywhere you wanted at any time, it's theoretically possible to just go from one to another and never have a permanent home. Mm. But the only way to do that, first you like you have to be lucky and the stars have to align anyway, but like even even if you were the kind of person who could do that, you would still have to spend all of your writing time writing applications. So you would just <laughs> like you would it would just be this sort of hamster hamster spinning in a wheel and you'd never actually write poems. Poetry Yeah, I think that's true for people now. Yeah. Like I think yeah. Yeah, and like that's a that's a kind of an extreme like thought experimental version of it, but I think that's something people do uh, like more drawn out versions of that all the time. Uh, you're always going too fast for poetry, even after you die. This will be true for at least another hundred years. I mean, that's like I feel like at poetry readings or at poetry like when I'm reading and editing people's like I feel like slow down is like almost the, like that's the most frequent thing I say. Like slow down with your writing, slow down with your submission, slow down with your reading. Just like just slow down. You're right. Yeah. Ours, well, ours there are a few gone. of these that are like dedicated to listening to Matthew for a year, and that would be <laughs> one of them. Ours longa vita brevis, uh, or vita brevis. Um, and then he just quotes Latin at you, and it's like, what that's the yeah, very that's um, <laughs> that is very um, rudimentary. Yeah, it's uh, um, and it's actually it was taken, I believe, originally from I think Hippocrates. I think it was originally applied. It was it was translated from Greek, and it was applied to medicine. Like medicine is such a long labor it takes forever to to um to learn it all which is still has only become more true po poetry is poisonous to most humans i don't understand that one 
Um, well, think about how much angst and worry and um, mm. comparison. Think about early episode of yours. We talked about how was it Rambo's mum? Yeah, said, yeah, yeah. Uh, Bo- I just Bo-Lair's wish. Mom. Yeah. Bolesh's mum always get this yeah, mixed yeah. up. The one thing I wish is that he'd never gotten into poetry. Okay. The, the drugs and and the the rest of it is fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The life of poetry is poisonous to most humans. Like the like the, the like writing poetry. Cuz I don't th- like I think like it's if you if you're talking about poetry as like the material or the like words that you like there are plenty of people who read poetry. Well, there aren't plenty of people. Well, like that's not poisonous. What's poisonous is like saying I'm going to devote my life to it. Yeah, that's that's a good clarification for sure. Yeah, I'm thinking of poetry as a substance that you start to mess around with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe and maybe that's part of the is like there are there are precious few people who who ingest it regularly and don't and don't come to at least wish for or long for something. Like it it yeah. maybe in that sense it is a uh, it is pretty poisonous. Those who say they have given up poetry reveal themselves to be its most hopeless addicts. I think that's, that's pretty true. No one enjoys poetry. That I feel like I like I really want to resist that one. Like I like I am so irritated by the poetry world, and I read and there's so much bad poetry. But like the whole the, what makes like what gives me what puts fire in my belly about this topic is that I do enjoy poetry. Like. If it were, it's treated as if no one enjoys it often. And I think a lot of the poetry that we deal with in public conversations or in poetry readings, people don't enjoy. But like, there is enjoyment to be had in poetry. And it's like, it, it like more, f- more like, frankly confronting that is is what I wish we were doing. It's why, it's why like, I am less bothered by Ada Limon than I am by Ocean Vuong. Cause like, I think people really like her. Like, I, I think, I think people are actually like her poems. And I think with Ocean Vuong, there's a lot think... more. Well, I, and I, I'm, I don't, I can't speak to his his prose, but I think um, I think there's a lot more. I think there's a lot more like jumping on a bandwagon with with Ocean Vuong. I think there's a lot more like this is the thing that is supposed to be cool. I think I think it's it's hard to read his poems and think like somebody really digs this. Oh, I don't find that at all. See. Like, oh yeah. Okay. And I'm going to contradict my my point here, but um. I've definitely read poems of oceans and gone, yeah, that's a great line. Okay. I could totally, totally imagine people enjoying it. No question. All right. Well, yeah, I mean, if if you really enjoy it, and and like the same, again, the same goes for like, you know, Insta poets, pop poets, Billy Collins, you know, if you genuinely enjoy it, I mean, I think it's good, but like, fine. Like then there's no bad faith happening, but... But mm-hmm. I think there's so much bad faith happening in the poetry world. Uh, and there's so much interaction with poetry where there's not even an expectation of genuine enjoyment. But yeah, that one I, I was I resisted. And then the existence or non-existence of poetry, I'm curious about what, what you, how you meant that. What I'm trying to get out there is, uh, don't you love it when, when writers start a sentence? <laughs> what I'm trying <laughs> to get cares? What the I fuck? Think what he's trying Nobody to say. Cares. Yeah, I think what... Yeah. <laughs> Shut up. Okay, so what I'm saying is we get so wound up about what is what is poetry and where does it begin and end and how do we define it and what does it do? Right. And so I was trying to encapsulate that all those things. No way to prove, like, it, you know, it's there or it's not, but can we just stop having that conversation because it's a huge distraction from the work and 
Yeah. Uh, it's clearly there, or it's clearly not there, but just don't, just whatever. Echo, Echo, hold on a minute. Echo's tearing up this man. Echo, <laughs> stop. Uh, yeah, but I, I was really impressed that you did this. Like, I, I was sort of startled that you, like, took took it up as a challenge because it, it just seems, like, so horribly daunting to me. So, uh, mazel tov. I'm trying to, if I'm going to criticize stuff, I'm, I'm trying to think about whether it's something that I could even approach, I guess. So I thought if I was going to sit around um, picking apart other people's. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you are, uh, you are extremely, you win the good sportsmanship award for, <laughs> for, for, for this podcast. That's what I was podcast. going for, yes. Yeah. So I, I, I started to kind of try to think about some declarative statements I think I think I'll, I do end up spending a fair amount of time ranting them out on this podcast. So I I try to kind of come at a different question that has been eating at me a little bit, which is like there are there are plenty of circles in which it's almost impossible to talk about whether poetry is can even be good or bad. And like one of the angry letters to the editor in this issue of poetry was about like how di- this critic clearly thought that he could say that something was good or bad. Don't we all know that's impossible? How dare he? And so I do think like that's a conversation that is is hard to have. But then even even when one accepts that like, yeah, okay, I think like there are some poems that are better than others and this works kind of well and this doesn't work as well. It occurred to me that there are like, so Jonathan was reading through the manuscript of my second book before I was sending it out and he it was funny like in a couple of poems he pointed at them and he said you should cut these uh and he explained why and and it wasn't it wasn't just the old like oh i was going for that like he was specifically naming a deficiency that was a virtue that i prize (laughs) like like he was naming the the sort of the the spareness and universality of it as the fault Okay. Like what he really wanted was like a rich, detailed specificity. And and of course, like I can also enjoy that. But it occurred to me that like in talking about poetry, there are, there's a pretty long list of virtues that poetry can have. Like, like, and some of them are directly contradictory. And like two that came to mind would be like timeliness versus timelessness. <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. And like those can both be virtues that people really prize. Um, they tend not to go hand in hand. They tend to, you know, universality versus specificity. I don't know. Intensity versus subtlety maybe would be another way to, you know, they're not all perfect oppositions, but I think like they're in like, I thought of this or like I thought about this because because of some, some things that Shane and Cameron were saying. And I think even you have uh, a slightly different palette and like, Cameron is really interested in linguistic innovation, invention. And I recognize that. And there are times when I appreciate it in a particular instance, but like as a virtue, generally speaking in poetry, it doesn't really interest me. So I I made a list of a lot of the virtues that I have recognized in poems and that I think some people really look for in poems. I like even like teaching the story writing class, one of the st- my students said like, oh, well, I, I like to have a character that I can relate to that everything's going to work out for in the end. Hmm. And, and I thought like, oh, huh. 
like I certainly understand wanting to be able to connect with a character whether or not you identify with that character exactly but but the like then like part of what I'm going to the story for is then then I would like to see everything work out for her um and like that's a that's a thing people want and like that's a thing a lot of very successful books provide but it's not generally what I'm looking for when I go to a story but but it just made me think about like rather than arguing like this is poetry this isn't poetry or like poetry can be good or it can't be good or that, like it just made me think about like well what about just identifying what virtues one cares about hmm. so like some of the virtues i listed were i said already uh universality specificity timeliness timeliness timelessness titillation or something like that like a like um a, a sen sensational being sensational constellation simplicity intensity wit humor subtlety surprise complexity novelty beauty and i have an appreciation for all of those and i can find them more or less moving but then i thought like all right well when i really respond to poetry like when i look like read through a book of poems i have not read before or when i return to poems i really love what are the what is the constellation of virtues that i really respond to and i think i i identified them as clarity poignancy accuracy and elegance and and i think like that same constellation i think probably like cameron and to a lesser extent jonathan would would say is sort of boring um and i can sort find, like boring <laughs> well no but like there are there are like poems that yeah. i find to be really like perfect and and that i think i feel confident that like a lot of very smart people who who think smartly about poetry and read it smartly and, and like we were talking about toby martinez de los rivas who there was a whole scandal about him that we recorded a thing about uh cameron and i but like his poetry he's super smart and his poetry is doing like interesting challenging things i fucking it, it does it just leaves me cold i just get nothing mm. from it and it's and i think it's because it doesn't really it's not really interested in any of those four virtues and again, I, I don't like. I also care a lot about beauty, but but if I'm honest, it's probably fifth on the list, right? So it just made me think about like like that is a way to have a conversation about good and bad poetry that feels like maybe it's it, there's a little less uh, just like of an impasse. Um, yeah, because you get to decide what what actually matters to you. So of those of the and that's that not that's not at all like, a comprehensive list that's just so no. yeah 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 for sure yeah and it's that thing of like ideally you want all of them but right to me well, but some of, i mean some of them contradict each other like i, I think you can't yeah. have all of them and like maybe some of the best poems have really strongly achieve lots of them you know but i think like part of the exercise for me was not just saying like which sprinkles do i want in my yogurt today but but also like trying to recognize well what is it i respond to yeah. Like when I love these poems, what is it that I, what really gets to me about them? So yeah, I'm curious how you might characterize your constellation. Yeah, and or 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 refute my my uh, rambling non-argument. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think this is a great way to look at it. It reminds me a bit of what psychologists will do with you, where they'll get like a, a set of values cards and they'll be like, you need to pick your oh, your God. five 
Oh, values. God, that's that's the most um, devastating. Re- I didn't mean refuel. that as an insult. Oh, man, that's. I that's think that's brutal. a useful exercise. <laughs> where, where on this chart of smiley it. faces do you? <laughs> where is your pain? <laughs> Come on. All right. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I think that's a useful exercise, and and one of the reasons is that you get to you do get to put some things like way out in the corner where you're like, I don't care about that. Mm-hmm. But then you realize that there's a whole bunch of stuff that you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of into that. And then there are these things that you're like, I need this. Yeah. This this needs to be part of it. I relate to your constellation quite a bit. There are poems that do that, that I think I do really like. But for me, the one that stands out the most is complexity. Okay. Um, All right. I always, I always come back to this idea of wanting to wanting to see the the rough edges um and so this is where i i keep wanting to ask you about robert frost right because i feel like he must be somewhere in the background for you yeah yeah and he's for me as well Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah but the thing about frost is no i don't even know if i I can say that there's not complexity because like a poem like Mending Wall is pretty complex. And that's one of my least favorite of his poems. Really? Yeah. Like I, I, well, that's a poem. Well, let's fight I, about it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's funny. I, I, everybody, like every smart person I know loves that poem and I know there's a lot to admire in it and it just it totally doesn't interest me. Why? Uh, yeah, I <laughs> I think, all right, so so that, what I, what, what the, the, Maybe part of the argument I'll I'll make is that in that poem, that poem is not one of his dialogue poems, but it's a cousin to his dialogue poems. Mm-hmm. You know, like the um, the death of the hired man, or the what's the other one? The buried. No, the the what's the one about the child graves? What's that called? Oh yes, uh, it's not buried child because that's the that's the Sam Shepard play. Those poems are accomplished, and I recognize like okay, you did a good job, Robert, but. I find them very dull. And it's partly because I love plays. I love dialogue. And as as dialogue poems go, those are just fine. But like, if you're gonna start doing that, like just give me Eugene O'Neill. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's it, to me, it feels like tepid drama. Whereas it's, it's sort of like, it's dynamic verse but like just like i'd rather have like an actual scene like if i'm gonna read poetry rather than dialogue i would rather have like a uh, like a piercing lyric whereas like this is dipping its toes into the realm of of like or like mending wall is a little bit like a short story or something or or a play and it feels like there are there are different ways to achieve that that sort of richness and bitter, sweet complexity that I find really effective in short stories, in lyric nonfiction, in plays. But uh, but it's it's not it doesn't knock my socks off as a poem. Whereas, like I think, mm. like probably my favorite of his poems is well, I don't know if it's my favorite, but a favorite of his poems is "Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening," which I think yeah. is like maybe the poem of clarity, poignancy, accuracy, and elegance par excellence like that that's it like that's the you know 
that's about as yeah. perfect as it gets. Yeah, I love that too. And I I think it has what I want as well, which is the at the very end, there is a bit of complexity. You know, the woods being lovely, dark and deep, like yeah. the temptation. Yeah, 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 yeah. In that is so interesting to me. Yep. It's like, why the fuck do you want to walk off into the woods, Robert? What's wrong? Yeah. <laughs> is everything okay, man? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is why, yeah, like he's, he's I like him because he's so bleak <laughs> his vision of things like that's part of what surprise, i really enjoy surprise. oh yeah part yeah. of what i really enjoy in his, in his work in like the the um even like uh uh the oven bird i think similarly has a like that's not as elegant a poem that's not as perfect a poem but it's mm. it has a similar dark vision <laughs> of the world and of poetry yeah so you it's funny that you would say yeah i think complexity i see that and I, I almost wonder if there's another, because you've talked about rough edges a couple of times, and I wonder if that's the right word for that, because it's complexity is like the involvement of many elements in one entity. Yeah. And there's yeah. another thing, which is like roughness or unfinishedness or honesty, maybe, is part of that. Mm. Like, honesty, like, a na- sure. like a nakedness. So like, like, mm. And those, it's funny, like those um, virtues, the virtues in that ballpark are some of the least compelling to me okay like honesty is not it like it's it's uh, there's something other than honesty that's like that i know that i know it's a virtue and i think it's the thing you're talking about which is like showing the things you know showing the seamy side and that's like the photographic for me yeah 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 a photo that captured something you didn't realize was there right what would be the word for that what is that virtue because it is a specific thing it's not quite exactly the same as honesty. It's not quite exactly the same as complexity. But that, yeah, that I know that virtue that you're talking about, and I recognize it as a virtue. It just doesn't interest me. Why not? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, mm. that, but that's part of what I'm like. It's part of my exercise with this list has been like, I can con- like. I think when I have tried to talk about good and bad poetry in the past, I've often tried to construct arguments about like, well, here's what a poem is doing and how it does that. And here's why you need this virtue. Whereas I'm trying this time to to say like, well, what do I respond to? Whether or not I should respond to it, whether or not I can come up with a good argument for it, whether or not it makes sense, like what do I actually respond to? And yeah, what do and I just- Yeah, and you're not entirely in yeah. control of that either. No, no, I think I'm very much not in, I'm mostly not in control of it. Uh, I think you can, you can develop a, taste for something you can you know and so maybe part of the, the the lesson of this list is like maybe it's worth developing a taste for some of these other things that are farther away you know i, I think like it's like like what you like but also maybe like be open to liking some things that you haven't learned to like yet um yeah but coming back to that thing of like only having a short amount of time left <laughs> Do you well, think yeah. that I only have uh, I've, I've got like a couple months left in this on, yeah, on Marinetti's yeah, clock. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Oh, less than a, no, um, I've got like one month left. Yeah. Yep. Um, do you think it becomes more difficult? Like you become less less flexible in your thinking and less open to new stuff. Um, Probably because I yeah, think where surely. these virtues come from is it's where you started, right? Yeah, I think it's. I mean, I think probably some of it is is like character logical, and some of it is is like what you're exposed to as a kid. And yeah, yeah. Um, no, yeah. I think I think they're they're all to some extent acquired. I think, but that doesn't make them any less sincere, right? 
mm. are genuine. Like, like they're, you know, like you learn to like the foods that you like for the most part. Like very few of us have like an innate palate when it comes to food. We just have these yeah. like little, little naked baby tongues that can't stand anything that's, you know, not really mild. And then we, we they get, they get duller over time as you smoke cigarettes and scrape away all the, you know, sensitivity to them until you just need to pour uh, Cholula on everything in order to taste anything at all. Um, so, so yeah, like I think, I think probably we become less, less, uh, open to new, new poetic experiences over time, just as we become less open to new experiences of any type. Yeah. It's funny, like reading that Charles Bernstein manifesto, I was looking at it and just thinking, God, you know, 25 year old me is so fucking impressed by this. Like I'm so into it. <laughs> and now I'm just like, ah, oh, I don't have time. <laughs> I'm so busy. I yeah. I the thing that I do still find interesting is when I see what strikes me as a very sincere response to something. I then am curious about like, okay, what would it be like to love this? Like, what would be happening in me if I loved this? And sometimes mm -hmm. the response is like the response to Ada Lamone, which is like, oh, not that much. Like, that's not that interesting. Like, it, like, and sometimes it's a little more complex. Like when I read Jane Eyre as a 35-year-old man, I was like, if I were a 15-year-old girl, this would be the greatest book ever written. And I think it is a terrific book. I just think like, it's not, it wasn't for me at the time. Like it was not meant for me at the time. And I mean, I think or like I'll read, you know, reading old, old poems or writing from other places and times, I'll think, you know, like, what would it be like to be the kind of person who like when, when, uh, when you, when, when Odysseus is like, cut the noses off all of my maids who slept with the suitors and then be like, ha 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 ha, good one, Odysseus. Like, who, like, what would, what would it be like to be that person for whom that would be the first response? Like, nice going, you know, like, rather than just like, like horror and yeah, nausea. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think like I do that I enjoy that exercise, like trying to imagine my way into a certain kind of response, but only if I believe someone genuinely has enjoyed it. Like okay. in so much okay. of the, so much contemporary poetry I read, I think like, fuck you. Like you didn't even think this was a good poem. Like you didn't submitting this to the magazine, submitting this to the magazine, you thought, ah, I could publish it. Like, fuck you for that. Like, no, don't submit it unless you think it's at least, it doesn't have to be your best, best work, but like, at least think that somebody's going to say like, oh shit, that's nice. Like you, like you at least have to have that feeling about it, you know? Mm -mm. Well, I've definitely been the person sending something in being like, oh, me too. Yeah. This. Of course. <laughs> me, yeah. Of, of course. We're, of course we're all guilty of, of having done that. But I think like, I, I only am interested in trying to imagine my way into loving something. If I think somebody has loved it. <laughs> I just <laughs> don't think fair. like, I don't think most, stuff out there has been loved but you know like i don't know i'm i'm more cynical about that than you are well i don't mind you know it's kind of what i was trying to say at the end there like um, oh yeah yeah, yeah. no one what enjoys poetry which obviously which... like it's an intentionally huge declarative statement that i would yeah, never yeah, yeah. really make yeah yeah except that i just did but there is a like i agree with you there's a lot there's a lot of there's a lot of should in yeah the way that I think we end up approaching poetry because it is treated like it's fragile and it needs our, our help and our loving attention. And so I think things are given more credit 
than they need. And a lot of the time, yeah, probably a lot more credit than they're due. That was my conversation with Alice. You can find her as always uh, on her podcast app. Uh, Poetry says you can't find her on Twitter anymore. Uh, good for her. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. You can reach me as always uh, at sleerickets at gmail.com or on Twitter at sleerickets. Uh, and uh, and here is a little excerpt from my conversation with Brian. That's gonna it's it's uh, the whole episode. It's a good long one. It's on the secret show. Go to sleerickets.substack.com if you want to hear it. We talked about a really good article by Thomas Nagel called "What Is It Like to Be a Bat," as well as a children's story by Randall Jarrell called "The Bat Poet." But first, we talked about uh, this stupid shit. I had a very scientific experience. Uh, uh, <laughs> giving you know when book. you when you wor- add the word very to scientific <laughs> or it experience makes it, it really makes it really scientific yeah. this is the, I have a scientific anecdote a... for you exactly uh, so I, for Easter I got my children presents uh, which is Easter is now like a miniature Christmas it's terrible it's ridiculous but it's awful do you do Easter too yeah my um my wife's mother is a huge Easter lady mm, okay and my yeah, idiot yeah, yeah. kids still believe in the Easter bunny which is <laughs> I mean, Owen is going to be nine in July, and he questions the shit out of everything. Like, you can't get through a meal without him saying, right. like, like is I that fork with metal or plated plated silver, and is it valuable, and could I sell it? And if I can sell it, why don't we sell it? You know, or, like, is um, when, when you have twins, does that mean you have to have sex twice? And if you have sex only That's once, and they're, they're, no, it's great. And it's like... But if you like, how long does sex take? And is 10 minutes? Is that boring? Do you get bored during sex? And it's like, well, if you don't, why not? Because it feels good. But like things that feel good still get boring, right? So like everything he questions. But the Easter Bunny, he's like, oh, I guess the Easter Bunny knew I was having a sleepover this weekend because he came the next day. Like, like I, I don't, I get it's a willful suspension of disbelief, but I don't, I, and once in a while he'll ask me, he'll be like, does the Easter Bunny know about daylight savings? Or like, does the Tooth Fairy how many kids does each tooth fairy go to yeah. tooth you know? fairy is real flimsy that one's hard oh to, it's, yeah. it's the worst it's <laughs> yeah. the worst and i with 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 santa i mean because i mean jews don't do this shit like right. that's I, I don't but with with santa and the easter bunny i'm just like i don't i don't have that kind of connect like ask mom <laughs> about about the the technicalities of of how that works yeah um but yeah, Easter is worse than Christmas because Easter, all the presents are uh, chocolate and sugar, and it just makes the kids into overstimulated lunatics. And the rest yeah. of the day is terrible. And there's nothing there other than like a meal that they don't really want to eat. Like I, I don't like there's because they're full of e- chocolate. Because yeah. they're full of chocolate, and they don't like want to eat the rabbit prepared by. Oh, they, oh yeah, my 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 mother in law oh, makes oh, you, funny. Wait, yeah. she does rabbit. She serves yeah. rabbit on Easter. Yeah. That seems yeah. That, like yeah. a funny yeah, choice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. cool, right? Um, <laughs> and they don't, you know, is that the same bunny? You know, is that no? It's a totally different species. He's like, he's even, like Jesus, like he's or the phoenix, even, like he sacrifices. He is the body, right? Exactly. He takes the sacrifice. <laughs> the uh, the so, um, my kids still believe in the Easter bunny. Do you celebrate Easter? It's just like Christmas. Carry on.
Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, 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 uh, my, my daughter will, uh, with, in a very bored voice, tell you that it is the celebration of the goddess Yostra. Because <laughs> I'm sick of God, I love like, how we're all, we're all abusing our kids in different yeah, ways. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and the worst is my, my, uh, because my, my four year old is so bad and so, like, oppositional. <laughs> uh, she asked to see a picture of the Easter Bunny, and Joanna, like, has tried to turn the Easter Bunny into like a, give it like a like a Santa logic, but it's really becoming more like Krampus until like she right. was like, show me a picture of this Easter Bunny, and we showed her a picture of the Bunny Man from Donnie Darko. <laughs> she's the big, the big face, <laughs> so like horrifying. So she's terrified of the face. Easter Bunny now. And anytime she's being bad, Joanna's like, huh, did I hear a thump on the porch? And she like shoot up the stairs in terror. <laughs> So that works pretty well for us. But, uh, murder goblin right. happens but I to give you candy once a year for <laughs> yeah, Jesus' yeah, own. Unless it eats you. Yeah, but right. yeah, I didn't want to give them candy, so I got them like dumb toys and things. And I, I went to the toy store and got these stupid little like mystery prize toys from Playmobil. Okay. And I realized when I got them that it was like they were little figures, like a little person. And there's like mm -hmm. some half were pink and half were blue. And my little little daughter is very into pink princess stuff. My older daughter is very against pink and princess stuff and doesn't like it at all right now, which just makes sense. Um, yep. So I got the little one a pink one and the older one a blue one. It's like, girls can have boy toys, of course, you know, blah, blah, blah. So then they opened them on Easter morning and my little pink princess daughter opened a beautiful uh, angel in golden armor with a giant <laughs> spear and huge white wings, right? <laughs> And my older daughter opened her blue boy packet and <laughs> it was a guy with a mustache and a bandana handing out coupons. What are you talking about? What does it have to do with Easter? How do well, you nothing know with Easter, coupons? But it's like, what are you, they were so small. They were little plastic chits that said coupon on them. No. And they were in a bag. He was, he had a, he had a satchel and they were in a satchel what and, he had a, and he had a shirt. For? He was wearing What's shorts, the, cut off shorts and a shirt character? that said, that's, the shirt that said party. It said party on his shirt. What are you, what are you talking about? So I was like, these are the, t these are like the, this is like fi the feminine and the masculine identity of our time. And it was like, 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 like right. a, war Everything's a like, warrior, a warrior queen. Like, like we then, need like, to go see the Northmen right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, so, yeah, yeah. That, I mean, whatever the company that so sold you those eggs thinks about like the ideal man versus <laughs> the ideal woman, I think maybe we'll drive more people to see the Northmen. They were all right. All the trend pieces are right. I believe 30% um, uh, of that story that you just told. Yeah, <laughs> Um, <laughs> <laughs>